0: I know it's been such a blessing for me to uh, really think about this topic of gratitude and meditate on this and try to apply these truths more to my life. Um, I don't know about you, but if you've bought a product recently, I know I've noticed that they don't seem to come with instruction manuals anymore. Uh, Sometimes you'll get a little packet and you'll think, oh, look at this nice, thick instruction manual. And all it is is like 32 or 64 languages that says like, enjoy your product. (laughs) And it's like, I know, but how do I use it? I just got a a light-up mirror from Costco recently and I enjoy it but the base turned bright red and it stopped working so I realized I needed to recharge it but there were no instructions Uh, how do I recharge it how do I know when it's fully charged I don't want to fry the battery or mess it up and I ended up going to YouTube and just typing in recharge and the model number and sure enough a YouTube video popped up showing me exactly how to recharge that mirror. It was great. Uh, There's so many great YouTube videos out there now. You can find out how to put on your makeup, uh, how to curl your hair, how to remove a stain, uh, how to mix peanut butter. Uh, I've even seen uh, recently how to mine Bitcoin at home. I mean, it is all out there. Uh, Too bad there's not, you know, how to be grateful to God or how to say thanks. Wouldn't that be awesome if we had a how-to guide when it came to that? But you know what? You know what I'm going to say, right? We do. (laughs) We have a how-to guide, and it's better than a YouTube video. It's the inspired word of God. The word of God teaches us how to say thanks. And we're gonna look at a specific psalm tonight, Psalm 30, and we're gonna see that Psalm 30 really unpacks how to say thanks as David reveals his gratitude to God. So turn to Psalm 30 or look at it in your workbook, pull it up on your phone, and let's just begin by reading it together Psalm 30. A psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple, I will extol you, Yahweh. And I'm reading Lord there as Yahweh, if you haven't heard us do that before, when it says capital L-O-R-D in your Old Testament, it means that they were translating from the Hebrew word that was Yahweh, the personal name of God. And the reason for saying, I will extol you, Yahweh, rather than I will extol you, O Lord, is because Yahweh reminds us that this was, again, the personal name of God. So it's revealing the intimacy That was there between the author, between David, and between the Lord. I will extol you, Yahweh, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit sing praises to yahweh O you his saints and give thanks to his holy name for his anger is but for a moment and his favor is for a lifetime weeping may tarry for the night but joy comes with the morning as for me i said in my prosperity i shall never be moved but your by your favor yahweh you made my mountain stand strong You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, Yahweh, I cry. And to the Lord, I plead for mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, Yahweh, and be merciful to me. Yahweh, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and may not be silent. Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. So this beautiful psalm begins with a superscript, which is the words at the beginning of the psalm. It says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. And if you're thinking about what happened then in biblical history, you might realize that that's a little anachronistic because there was really no temple at that time so uh, scholars debate as to what that means uh, literally the superscript in the hebrew it's a very beautiful phrase it says "Mitzmor Shir sheer hanukkah tabiat lay david it means uh, a psalm a song and it says the dedication of the house of david uh, so it could be uh, referring to when David's house was built in Jerusalem. Or it could be uh, added later, they say, because it was used at the dedication. At Hanukkah, Hanukkah means the dedication. That's why the verb there says Hanukkah. So either if it was used at the dedication at Hanukkah, when the uh, people of God were celebrating the rededication, the re-cleansing of the temple, or at the establishment of David's house, either way, it's known throughout Jewish history as a psalm of thanksgiving a psalm of gratitude, a psalm of praise. And David begins here again, I will extol you, Yahweh, in verse 1, for you have drawn me up and have not let my foes rejoice over me. Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have healed me. Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol, you restored to me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And then look all the way at verse 12 at the very end, that my glory may sing your praise and may not be silent. Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. We've seen this literary device used before where we begin and end with something. It's called inclusio. We're beginning and ending with extolling and thanksgiving. This is a psalm of thanksgiving. It's a psalm of praise so let's put our first point down as continually thank god because that's what david's saying here i will extol you i will continue to extol you and then he concludes in verse 12 yahweh my god i will give thanks to you forever this is not a one-time thing it's something that we will do forever and we should do forever Uh, This word here, to extol, it means to lift up. Uh, scholars have said it's like taking a baby. If you were uh, in the ocean, let's say, and the tide is coming up and you're taking the baby and you're lifting it up above the water so that the water doesn't hit it, you're lifting that child up, you're extolling it above the water and that's what David's doing here. He's extolling the Lord, he's lifting him up because of what God has done in his life. He says, I will extol you, Yahweh, for you have drawn me up. Uh, That Hebrew there for drawn me up, it literally means to draw up water. Like to draw up water from a well. Uh, That same word is used in Exodus 2.16. Exodus 2.16 where it says, The priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the troughs to water their father's flock. Uh, they watered their father's flock from the water from the well that had been drawn up it's the same Hebrew word there it's like pulling a bucket out of a well Uh, David saying here you have drawn me up out of the water Uh, look at verse 3 you have brought up my soul from Sheol that's death it's the grave you have restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. And then look at verse 9. What profit is there in my death? So David saying the well that I was in, the pit that I was in was as deep as death. And you reached down and you drew me up. And because of that I will extol you. And David was referring to a terrible sickness that he had experienced at this time. And he thanked God for his healing. He was thanking God for healing him. And you might think to yourself, that's great for David, but I'm not sick right now. I don't need that kind of healing. And as we've seen uh, this morning and even last night, we are sick, right? Spiritually, apart from Christ, we are sick. That's what Jesus teaches. That's what Jesus taught. In Matthew 9, verses 10 through 13, for example, uh, Jesus was in the house uh, some uh, some people he was celebrating, uh, and he was with men and women, men and women. It says in Matthew nine ten, Jesus reclined at table in the house. Behold, many tax collectors and sinners came and were reclining with Jesus and his disciples. And the Pharisees they saw this and they said to his disciples, Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? But when he heard it, he said, Those who are well. Have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. Those who are sick. Go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I came to call the, not the righteous, but sinners. Jesus came to call sinners those who are sick. We realize that we are spiritually sick, like David was sick, and we need to be drawn up. We need to be drawn up by God. Uh, We saw this morning in Carlin's teaching that we were so sick that we were actually dead, right? Remember, we looked at Ephesians 2.1. It said that we were dead in our sins and transgressions. That's how sick we were before we came to Christ. But just as David was lifted up out of that well, out of that pit of desperate sickness by God himself, we too have been lifted up out of that well, out of that pit of desperation and death because of our spiritual sickness Uh, listen to what jesus said in john 6 41 through 44 John 6, 41 through 44, the Jews were complaining about him. It says, the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. That's a pretty big statement, right? I am the bread that came from heaven. They realized that he was making himself equal with God, saying that you cannot survive without me. And they said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know, how does he now say, I have come down from heaven? And Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. And then he said this very important statement in John 6:44. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him. That same word, like drawing that water out of a well. God has to draw us to himself and I will raise him up on that last day and that's such an interesting way that Jesus described it because it's the same thing that David's saying here in Psalm 30 God doesn't you know look down at us like water in a well and say oh please come up please come up water I would love for you to fill my bucket no The bucket goes down into the well, and the bucket is filled with water, and it's drawn up. And that's what God does for us, right? That's what he did for David, and that's what Jesus said he does for us. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him. We were spiritually sick. We were dead in our transgressions, and God reached down into that well, into that pit, and he drew us up. And because of that, we extol him. And it's such a beautiful picture. David paints here. He's saying, you reached down. Your movement went down to pull me up. And because of that, I will lift you up. And that's what we're called to do, to continually give thanks to God because of what he has done for us. David expressed this great gratitude. You know, the word gratitude is only used one time in the ESV. Uh, It's only translated one time in English as gratitude. Uh, It's actually spoken by a non-Christian who was the spokesman for the high priest who was speaking to a Roman official. And he was basically... um, kind of talking to him before he brought Paul before him and he said our nation in every way you have helped us and we are grateful for your uh, help he said we accept this with all gratitude that's the only time we see gratitude in the ESV and the old and the new testament and that's in acts 24 2 and 3 but you know it's the same word we're looking at it's the eucharista The Eucharisto, the verbal form. It's the exact same word. It's translated there as gratitude. We see it as translated as thanksgiving, as a noun, or to give thanks as a verb. The same word. So when we see gratitude, it's really thanksgiving or giving of thanks. It's a synonym for all three. Again, we saw last night that it's the uh, appreciation for benefits or blessings that we receive and we receive benefits and blessings from God and we are to continually regularly express gratitude for, to him look again at verse 3 of psalm 30 yahweh You have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. What a beautiful picture for us, right? That dragging, as Jesus said, he drew us up from among those who were on their way to death. God sovereignly chose to pull us up how amazing is that and we are to regularly to continually to forever extol and give him thanks for that and not only did he drag us up did he save us but he is the one that keeps us saved he is the one that keeps us saved uh, jesus said in john 10 27 and 29 jesus said my sheep hear my voice And I know them, and they follow me. He said, I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one will snatch them out of my hand. So Jesus is saying that he has us in his hand, and no one can snatch us out. And then he adds, my father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hand. So Jesus is saying not only are we held in his hand, but God's hand is over that. It's a double hand clasp. We're being held by Jesus Christ himself and by the Father, and no one is going to snatch us. If we are in Christ, he not only pulls us out and saves us, but he keeps us saved. And for that, we must thank him continually, regularly, constantly, just like David did. Because if it wasn't for Christ and God holding on to us, we would be dust. We truly would. Uh, Think about it like this. Let's say that um, you're driving your kid to school. And you drive by a kid that has to walk five miles to school. And you might think, no one walks five miles to school. They do. I used to drive my kids over 20 miles to school, and that's a whole different story. But literally, let's just say that there's a kid that has to walk five miles to school, and your kid in the car says, hey, let's, let's give her a ride. And so you decide that you're going to give her a ride, and she gets in the car with you, and you say, you know what? We're going this way every day. We'll pick you up and give you a ride every day. When you drop her off, what do you expect her to say? Thanks, right? Thanks for the ride. You gave her a ride. You showed her kindness. You did that for her so that she wouldn't have to walk. Uh, if you gave her a ride for the next seven days, 30 days, you would expect her to say thanks every day when she gets out of the car, right? You wouldn't have her never saying thank you again and saying, I thanked you the first day you picked me up. <laughs> that would be ungrateful, right? In the same way, we are to continually give thanks. Lamentations 3, 22 and 23 says, the steadfast love of the Lord never ceases, his mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every single day we have reason to thank God. That was Lamentations 3, 22 and 23. Every single day we should be thanking God. And we need to... Uh, choose to do this we need to actually like assign times or tasks in our life when we will thank god Uh, one thing that i'm sure most of us do is we thank god before we eat right i mean before we have a meal we see that jesus did that in the gospels we see that paul did that giving thanks to god before eating food that's a good time to stop and thanks thank god Uh, We can thank God when we pray. We should begin our prayers uh, when we pray with thanks to God. God, I thank you for hearing me. I, I thank you for humbling yourself and listening to me. I thank you for giving me your attention. I mean, think about it. When we decide to talk, God listens to us. That's something we can thank him for. So we can thank him when we pray. We can thank him when we eat. Like Carlin said this morning, we thank him when we wake up in the morning. We woke up another day. Thank you, Jesus, for another day of life. I have one that I like, and that is when you take out the trash. It seems like a strange thing but literally every time I look at the trash I heard this from some theologian years ago and it just stuck with me it is a sign of God's provision in your life you have all that stuff you're throwing away because God has provided you with so much that you're throwing away packages and wrappers and all sorts of things if you have the privilege of taking out trash you should be thankful to God and every time you take that trash bag out, you can say, Thank you, God, for providing me with so much that I'm even privileged enough to be taking out, hauling out bags of trash. When He forgives our sins, when He provides us with anything good, I'm picking maybe two, three, four, five things in our life that we can say, These are going to be our gratitude triggers. Uh, When these things happen, it will be a time for us to remember, I need to give thanks to God. When I wake up, when I eat, when I pray, when I take out the trash, when he forgives me of my sins, whatever it is, be creative. But think of some gratitude triggers, and every time you do that, you think, you know what, I'm going to, for even a moment in time, say thank you to God. Some people like to journal. They like to write down uh, all the great things that God has done, putting thanks in a journal. So stopping to read through those entries and then continue to write things in the journal that we can be thankful for, rather than just taking his mercy for granted. But you know, gratitude, as we'll see, goes far deeper than just our words, than just saying thanks to God. It really uh, involves our entire being. It involves who we are, our entire person. And we'll see that as we continue through this beautiful psalm. Uh, let's look at verses four and five. David goes on Sing praises to Yahweh, O you, his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment. And his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. Uh, The second point here is that we need to not only continually thank God, but we need to obediently thank God. And we'll unpackage that for a second. This is a very familiar phrase. This weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. You see it on pillows. You see it on cards. uh, You see it used in many places. But sometimes we miss the context of what David is actually saying here. Uh, you can see that he calls others to praise God with him in verse 4. Sing praises to Yahweh, O you his saints. He's saying you've been recipients of the great salvation of God as well. So sing praises to him. And then he says you've been recipients of his mercy. He highlights these incredible contrasts in this passage. Uh, let's look at the contrast here. He says there's anger his anger is but for a moment in verse 5 and his favor is for a lifetime so this contrast between anger and favor uh we've got weeping and joy in verse 5 again this contrast the weeping and the joy the night and the morning in verse 5 it may tarry for the night but joy comes in the morning and then a moment uh, His anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. So another contrast between the moment and the lifetime. And David is giving us this incredible picture again here. Uh, Like he did in verses one through three, he's saying that, you know, God is angry with our sin, but his favor is the response that he gives to our repentance. When we choose to be obedient He showers us in his favor. The weeping, the night, the anger, it doesn't need to be permanent. When David rebelled and sinned against God and uh, did things his way, there was anger, there was weeping, and there was night. But when he repented, when he obeyed God, the night was over. Weeping, weeping, can spend the night, but it can't take residence in the home of one who is repentant and obedient before God. It must move on when the sun comes, when the repentance takes place, when the confession takes place, the darkness, the weeping, the anger, it's out the door. This beautiful picture of God disciplining his children, of God's... uh, father like his fatherly discipline upon his children. Uh, Hebrews 12:8 through 11 talks about this. If you want to pull it up or just listen to me read from it real quick. Hebrews 12:8 through 11 says if you are left without discipline in which all have participated then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them david setting up those same contrasts here right where you know we have the discipline that seems painful for the moment like it says in hebrews 12 11, but later in contrast yielding the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it so david really saying here Uh, In this passage, in the psalm, in verses 4 and 5, sing praises to Yahweh because his anger, his discipline towards us, towards his children, it's but for a moment. His favor is for a lifetime. Uh, The weeping, the darkness may tarry for the night, as we're disobedient but joy comes with the morning as we repent God's joy is restored to us he's faithful to us he desires us to be obedient to him and if we really want to be people who are grateful we need to be obedient it just makes sense that we would be obedient if you are grateful to somebody you're naturally going to do what pleases them. You're going to obey them. It just makes sense. Remember that uh, kid we picked up on the way to school? Well, what if we said, you know, hey, when you get in the car, please don't eat food in the car, and uh, don't put your feet on the dashboard, please. It's (laughs) disgusting. And um, wear your seatbelt. And what if she gets in the car and says, thanks for the ride, and starts pulling out her McDonald's and throwing the wrappers all around and takes her sandals off and puts her feet up on the dashboard and refuses to wear a seatbelt and tells you it's no big deal, it's not a moving violation, her mom said she'll pay for it. You're going to say when you drop her off, that kid is so ungrateful, right? Because she didn't follow your rules. And that's the same thing that David's revealing here. He's saying that when we are obedient, God's uh, joy, God's favor is with us as his children. Uh, When we're disobedient, when we're not doing things his way, he uh, graciously disciplines us. But that discipline is only for a moment because God's people will repent. His spirit will drive us to repentance. So think about it. As we think about gratitude, as we think about being thankful or being grateful, is there an area of your life that you're maybe being disobedient to God? Something you know you shouldn't be doing, but you're doing it anyways? Or maybe something you know you should be doing. God's Spirit wants you to do this, and yet you're resisting Him. And you're maybe feeling even that lack of joy or that darkness Uh, You're feeling his anger, in a sense, and you're frustrated with it. Well, thank God for his discipline, because his discipline leads us to repentance. He wants us to obey his rules. And if we are grateful, we will obey him. We can't separate our words and our actions, because our actions really reveal what's in our heart. We see Jesus teaching this again and again throughout the Gospels. I mean, think about what he said in Matthew 7, 15 through 17. He said, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. So they look one way on the outside, but inside they're different. He says, you're going to recognize them by their fruits, by their actions, right? Actions are important to God. Obedience is important to God. If we're going to be thankful, we need to be obedient And you might think, wow, that's weird. Uh, Where did David go wrong here? Oh, I bet it was his sin with Bathsheba, right? Mm, Probably not. If this psalm was written at the time of the uh, dedication of David's house in Jerusalem, that was before uh, his sin with Bathsheba. And you know what? He actually goes on in the psalm to reveal what went wrong. Uh, Look at verses 6 and 7 of Psalm 30. He reveals where he went off course. He says, As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. By your favor, Yahweh, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. A uh, David saying here, in his health and in his prosperity, he became arrogant. He became proud. He forgot his dependence upon the Lord. He became self-confident. He acted as if his great achievements were his own. And God, out of love for him, he disciplined him. And the text says he hid his face. God hid his face from him. He humbled him to get him from self-confidence back to God-confidence. That's how much God loved him. And that's how much God loves us. When we forget our dependence upon God, when we try to stand strong on our own achievements and our own ability to do things, God is so gracious to us. He will humble us like he humbled David and get us to the point where we are drug from self-confidence to God-confidence. So the third point here is humbly thank God. It's not just continually verbally thanking God or even our obedience, but we need to be humble. We need to be dependent upon the Lord. Uh, Listen to this great passage in Deuteronomy 8, 1 through 18. I'm going to read this. Deuteronomy 8, I'm sorry, 11 through 18. 11 through 18. Uh, The instructions going out to God's people. Take care lest you forget Yahweh your God. Okay. You can forget Yahweh your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them. And when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, so everything's going really good for you, verse 14, then your heart be lifted up and you forget Yahweh, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery for us out of our bondage to sin, right? Right? You shall remember Yahweh your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. You see, our prosperity, the good things that come in our life can cause us to forget our dependence upon the Lord. And can trigger a foolish and a mistaken pride as they did here with David. Remember our girl we're giving rides to, right? Well, let's say that we give her so many rides that she forgets that it's a great gift and she expects the rides. And not only does she expect them, but she starts telling people, hey, I'll give you a ride. Forgetting that she's not even driving the car, it's not even her car. And we go to pick her up one day and there's a dozen kids with her that she said i'll give you a ride to all of them and they all just pile into your car without even asking you for a ride you would think how ungrateful right and rightfully so That would be wrong for her to without even asking you tell these kids that you don't know that she will give them a ride because she's not giving them anything right you are and that's the same thing going on here we need to humbly remember we need to humbly thank God we need to be humble and dependent upon him and as we do that as we do that it's important that we remember Uh, as we're humbly thanking God and depending upon God, that God provides for us often through other people. Uh, That's something that we just can't forget. As we're being humble here, as we're not being prideful, as we're not being arrogant as David was, uh, we need to remember that God supplies our needs through other people. We see that in 2 Corinthians 7, 5 through 7, where Paul is talking there, the great apostle Paul, so humble, Uh, all of 2 Corinthians. You see the humility of Paul, this incredible man. Uh, They say that really was the one that caused the gospel to spread throughout the world. And you see him in 2 Corinthians 7, verse 5. He says, when we came into Macedonia... Our bodies had no rest. We were afflicted at every turn, fighting without and fear within. I mean, he was having a terrible time. And he says, but God, who comforts the downcast, comfort us by the coming of Titus. So God comforted him. God provided for him by bringing titus by sending titus and not only by his coming but also by the comfort with which he was comforted by you as he told us of your longing your mourning your zeal for me so that i rejoice still more so this great apostle paul is not too proud to confess that he was dependent upon titus And that God sending Titus there brought him great joy. And you know what else brought him great joy? The words of the church there. He says, your words encouraged me. So he was uh, glad to say that God used all of these people to help him, to assist him. These were the things that uh, built him up and he appreciated it. His thanksgiving was humble there if we're people who are going to humbly uh, and be humble in our thanksgiving we need to be people that are characterized by humbly thanking others we need to just say thank you to other people saying to them i really appreciate how god has used you in my life we see paul doing that again in romans sixteen three and 4 romans 16 3 and 4 uh, Paul says, greet Prisca and Aquila, my fellow workers in Christ Jesus, who risk their necks for my life, to whom not only I give thanks, but all the churches of the Gentiles give thanks as well. So Paul's saying, I give thanks to these two people. They risk their necks for me. And you know what? All the Gentile churches, they give thanks to them as well. Because God has used them in our life. Uh, What a great expression of humility, of giving thanks humbly, being able to thank other people. And you know, if somebody thanks you for how God's used you in their life, it's okay to just say, You're welcome, or It was my pleasure. You don't have to feel bad or that you're taking away glory from God. You know, you don't have to say, "Oh no, it wasn't me at all." It's okay just to say thank you, or you're welcome, or it was, it was my pleasure. Uh, sometimes, if we, you know, try to offset that and say, "Oh no, it wasn't me; it had nothing to do with me," we make the person feel embarrassed and awkward. Uh, they feel like we're trying to school them, and you know, then they feel embarrassed and they don't want to say thank you to anybody anymore. It's okay. It's okay just to say, you're welcome. I, I, I enjoyed doing that. Remembering that God rewards our choices and our obedience. And even though ultimately it is him working through us, he still says, you know, well done, good and faithful servant, right? It's okay to say thank you. But what's important here is that we start to think about who we should be thinking. Who do we need to thank? Uh, do we need to thank our husbands more for providing for us? When was the last time you said to your husband, thank you for working hard to pay the bills, uh, to pay for these things, for forgiving us? for the times that we messed up, for the times that we overlooked them or hurt their feelings, Uh, for loving us. Thank you for loving me, for sticking with me for all these weeks or months or years or whatever it is. Uh, To our parents, saying thank you to our parents for taking care of us, for sacrificing so much for us, uh, for supporting us, for loving us and believing in us. Thank you to our kids, thank you to our friends, thank you to our church, thank you to our entire community. I mean, I bet if we all sat down and brainstormed together tonight in some gigantic think tank, we could come up with a multitude of things to thank a plethora of people for, right? I mean, there's all sorts of things that we could thank people for, and that would be Thanking God humbly because it reveals that we are dependent upon God and we're dependent upon the way that he uses others in our lives. So let's do that. Let's take a little time just to brainstorm before we go back. How can I be more thankful towards others? How can I express that gratitude towards others? Knowing that when I'm grateful to others, ultimately, I am grateful to God. Think about our girl we're giving a ride to, right? Uh, Okay, remember, our daughter was the one that said we should pick her up. So we find out that when she gets to school with our daughter, she ignores our daughter. She's rude to her, she wants nothing to do with our kid, but she'll get back in the car for a ride. Well, if she's rude to our daughter and ignores her, we're not gonna want her in the car anymore, right? Uh, We're going to expect her to be grateful to us and to our daughter as well. Because when she's grateful to our daughter, it's like she's being grateful to us. And when we show gratitude to God's kids, it's like we're showing gratitude to God as well. And we see Jesus taught about this in Matthew 25, verses 35 through 40. We see this principle expressed Jesus said, I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And the righteous say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you and thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you and naked and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And remember what Jesus said. The king will answer them, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of my brothers, you did it to me. When we say thank you to somebody else, we're expressing our gratitude to that person and for how God has used that person. When we see others, we need to see Jesus. When we think about others, we need to think about Jesus. That's what he's saying here. If somebody sends you a present, a gift, please send them a thank you note. Uh, If somebody communicates information to you in an email or a text, please respond to them and say, I got your message, thank you. Don't ignore them. Would you ignore Jesus? Of course not, right? Then why do we ignore one another? Why don't we express that common gratitude towards one another? We need to begin to learn to treat others the way that we would treat Jesus. That's a biblical principle. Well, we'll see that David adds even more in the psalm. Eight, nine, and ten become very interesting here. David says, To you, Yahweh, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. Then he says, what profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, Yahweh, and be merciful to me. Yahweh, be my helper. David's asking God a rhetorical question as he's sick there. Uh, As he's very sick, he says, God, I'm begging you for mercy and let me ask you this question, God. Uh, If I die... Will the dust praise you? I mean, what profit will there be in my death? Uh, will, who will tell of your faithfulness? Who will speak about you if I die? Implying the fact that David is continually sacrificing before the Lord. So that's our fourth point. Sacrificially, thank God. Uh, these rhetorical questions again. When when David says here, what profit is there in my death in verse 9? It's an interesting Hebrew word. It's a commercial word. Like, God, what do you have to gain by my death? If you take my life, I'll no longer praise you. I'll no longer be sacrificing before you. And he knows that God doesn't need him. We just saw that, right? We saw his dependence upon God. But he knows that God uses him. This beautiful balance. God doesn't need him, and yet God uses him. Just like God uses other people in his life. We see that in the Gospels. We see that in the New Testament. We see that in the writings of Paul. Remember Paul in the first chapter of Philippians Uh, Paul said in Philippians 1, 22 through 25, revealing the struggle that he had. Uh, Should should he surrender himself up to death? Should he pray that God would keep him alive? He says in verse 22 of Philippians 1, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard pressed between the two, whether to go or whether to stay. He says, my desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better, but... In verse 24 to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account convinced of this I know that I will remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith same thing here same principle here Uh, if my life is taken I won't be able to invest into your life I won't make a difference I won't be sacrificing for the kingdom of God god was using paul god used david and god uses us too if we're going to be thankful we've got to be sacrificial in our thanksgiving i mean think about uh what paul said in 1 corinthians 12 7 first corinthians 12 7 to each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good That means every single one of us have God's spirit so that we can make a difference in his church so that we could say to God, what profit would there be in you taking my life right now? I'm making a difference in the church. It's a rhetorical question. Yes, but it reveals a heart of sacrifice, a thankful heart that's sacrificing before the Lord. And then so interesting, I love 1 Corinthians 12, 22 because it says, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. What a beautiful concept there. God's saying, I need you. I need you to do your part. You're indispensable. That's how important you are to your church body. I mean, stop and think about that. If we're truly thankful to God, we're going to serve him. When we realize that we have far more than we deserve, we're going to give to other people, right? Think about the girl we're giving the ride to. Let's say we go to get gas at the gas station, and she jumps out of the car and says, I'll pump the gas for you. That's the least I can do for the free rides that I'm getting every day. You're going to say, wow, that is one appreciative kid. That is a grateful girl I mean doesn't it just make sense if you're grateful you're gonna do something for others so that you would be missed if you weren't there and that's what David's saying I've been sacrificing to you Lord I've been grateful and I'm sacrificial in my Thanksgiving Uh, we might need to be a little more sacrificial in our gratitude this might be something we need to consider Uh, Maybe we need to serve more. Maybe we need to invest more of our resources, of our time, or even our money to the church. I mean, it's a weird question, but could we say, like David, there'd be a gap if we were gone? I mean, I know that sounds weird, but that's what he's saying here. Would it make a difference if we were gone? Would people say, ah, it's hard not having her here, She was so generous. She was so grateful. She was so kind. She invested so much into our body. We're going to miss her here. And if your answer is no, you might be tempted to blame that on other people. But I think if you're honest, you're going to find out that the problem's really you. Because we all are gifted with the ability and the call to be a part of our church community. That's what the Bible says. In fact, you are indispensable. You are needed. Well, finally, uh, David says here in verses 11 and 12, you have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosed my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. He says here, uh, my glory may sing your praise in verse 12. My glory is another way of saying my soul, my kabod, may sing your praises, my soul. David uh, experienced this deliverance and he was joyful before the Lord. And that's our final point is joyfully, joyfully thank God. We know that in Christ we have far more than we will ever deserve. And we have every single thing that we ever truly need. Uh, One of my favorite passages, and I refer to it often, but it's very encouraging to me, is Luke 10, 19, and 20, uh, when the disciples came back rejoicing because of the authority that they had and the great difference that they were making. And Jesus says in Luke 10, 19, behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. I mean, I'm thinking you hear that and you're gonna be like, wow, this is the best it can get. And then Jesus goes on in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your name's are written in heaven. That is a cause for joy for every single Christian. And because of that, Christians should be the most joyful people on the planet because our names are written in heaven. How amazing is that? When we say thanks, we need to make sure that we're coupling it with obedience. We need to humble ourselves, we need to be sacrificial, and we must be joyful. We must be joyful. We must have an attitude of joy. Uh, Thinking about Philippians chapter 2, it's a frequently quoted passage. We've quoted it, I think... Five times just in this year in women's Bible study. Philippians chapter 2, this mindset to have this attitude to put other people before yourself. And then the great example of Christ, he was very God and he humbled himself and he became a man and he became a servant and he went all the way to the cross. I mean, this great uh, climbing down the social ladder on our behalf. But sometimes we don't look at the verses following all of that, that beautiful picture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 15. uh, Verse 12 says, as you have obeyed, Not only in my presence, but much more in my absence. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to work for his good pleasure. So this beautiful model of Christ being very God, humbling himself, taking on human flesh, being the servant, going all the way to the cross. And then the passage says, now work out your salvation with fear and trembling because God is working in you. To do his good pleasure. And then the next verse, verse 14 of Philippians 2. Do all things without grumbling or disputing. Wow. That's how you put it into practice? Do all things without grumbling and disputing. That you may be blameless and innocent Children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation among whom you shine as lights in the world. You want to be a light for Jesus? Then you do everything without grumbling or disputing. That's what the text says. And that is a hard call. Do everything without grumbling or disputing. You give thanks joyfully you be joyful because of who your savior is and what he has done for you. If you grumble and you complain and you dispute, you are not shining the light of the gospel in the world and you are betraying Jesus to the watching world. We cannot do that any longer. If our kid gets into the car and gets out of the car after we give her the ride and says, thanks, we're gonna be like what Thanks, I mean, but if she says thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you I don't deserve this ride. I so appreciate this ride. We're gonna think you know what? I want to give this kid a ride every single day for the rest of my life because she is joyful and she appreciates it if We do this if we choose to do this to give thanks to God continually humbly sacrificially, joyfully, even thanking other people. You know what? We're going to be known as grateful women, as thankful people. People are going to see that in us. And you know what? We got a shirt to wear to prove it, right? We're going to wear that shirt that says give thanks in all circumstances. 1 Thessalonians 5:18. And I'm going to ask, does that shirt fit you? Not in size, but does it fit your character is that you are you the one who is going to give thanks in all circumstances when others look at you are they going to be like "Ha, you're wearing that shirt you giving thanks in all circumstances i mean is there an occasion in your life that you might feel hypocritical wearing that shirt uh, you know, when you go to the store and the clerk tells you, oh, we don't take online purchases as returns in the store, give thanks in all circumstances, right? <laughs> or you're going to uh, get that parking spot and out of nowhere, this lady appears and it's her spot. Give thanks in all circumstances. You called that company three times this week and they still aren't helping you, and you're wearing your shirts give thanks in all circumstances or when that sign out there says you must wear a mask (laughs) give thanks in all circumstances right or what about when you're just about to post on social media about that thing that makes you so mad give thanks in all circumstances right don't be hypocritical we're gonna wear the shirt It's our shirt, right? It's our retreat shirt. We got to think about our shirt. Give thanks in all circumstances. Because again, our gratitude, our gratitude really uh, displays the gospel to the watching world. And that's what we all want, right? We want others to see Jesus in us. And they will see Jesus in us to the degree that we display gratitude. Not only in our words, but in our actions as well. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for this great group of women, this grateful group of women, that uh, it is an honor and a privilege to uh, serve together with, to grow together with, to learn together with. God, please help us. Help us to get it this weekend. Holy Spirit, rework us from the inside out. Help us to be uh, people who are continually giving you thanks. God, help us to realize that our thanks would naturally include obedience, that it would be absurd to say that we're grateful, but we're not going to obey and put our feet up on the dashboard. God, uh, help us to be humble, to realize that uh, we owe everything to you. And to be even willing to express our dependence, our gratitude towards other people. God, help us to be sacrificial, to make a difference. And help us, Lord, to be joyful. God, we need these things. We know it's a big task. It's a tall order. But Lord, we want to do this. We want to choose to do this. Uh, We want to be pleasing in your sight. We thank you for this beautiful psalm of David, this how-to how to give thanks. God, we thank you for your word. I thank you for our church. I thank you, God, for this retreat. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.